Right, well we're still on prayer. Lee was absolutely right, yes, another one on prayer. Um, these started off just as one talk. Uh, when I prepared that first one, I wasn't, I wasn't then you know, conceiving that it was going to turn into a little mini-series. Tonight will be the last one. But uh, you know, for that reason, because it wasn't planned ahead, it's, it's perhaps a little bit all over the place, more so than had it been planned ahead. But that's, that's no problem, you know, I mean, I'm convinced we're, you know, we're sort of looking each week at, you know, what the Lord wants us to look at. Um, and you remember we started off, first of all, you know, sort of looking at the need for perseverance in prayer. That was the, you know, talk one, and we saw why, why you need to persevere. We had a look at, you know, the spiritual warfare and stuff like that. And, um, you know, and the work that God does in us while we're waiting, you know, and sort of praying on. Um, and then last time we went through the Lord's Prayer, and that kind of gave us the content, really, of a prayer life, or, or the pattern for prayer, um, if you like. Um, you know, so I mean, talk one, the perseverance of prayer. Talk two, the pattern of prayer. See, it's all, all the P's. And of course, just to keep things absolutely systematic and in a, you know like that tonight we're doing believing prayer which starts with a b but i mean i could but as i say this wasn't i didn't plan this ahead as a series so i don't think that matters too much but uh basically um you know sort of like anyone here who was without a, a, a prayer life ought, ought to be well on their way now which is uh good you know like you know building one up and, uh, you know, those who had a prayer life, I think, ought to have been helped by this and, you know, and sort of like chivied up a bit and fine-tuning and, you know, maybe, a, well, I mean, however long I was praying, just up it a bit or whatever. And, uh, you know, so um, we're going well. And, uh, and we're going back tonight to something that, you know, we touched on in the first one, as I say, believing prayer. Uh, and we're going to be seeing tonight the need for faith. Uh, so we've perseverance we've looked at, but the need for faith. So we're going to be seeing tonight that, that, that prayer should be believing prayer. It's very easy to overlook that. It's very easy to overlook that. You know, sort of, I mean, faith, belief, as we're going to see, is, is kind of at the heart of a prayer life. And, uh, you know, it's easy to sort of like end up almost sort of like, you know, going through the rigmarole almost, the habit of, of prayer, which is good. But without making that connection of, uh, of faith, you know, that the, what we're praying for, not only does the Lord want to answer our prayer, but he's going to answer our prayer because we're praying. And, uh, and you know, and tonight we've really got to, to home in on and to see that, that we've got to make that connection that our praying because it's inspired and led by God, our praying is actually causing things to happen that wouldn't otherwise. And we've got to believe that. Um, start with uh, Mark. Turn to, to, to the Gospel of Mark. And we're just going to see a little story in, in, in Mark's Gospel, and then we're just going to see um, Matthew's version of it. But first of all, Mark, chapter 11. And uh, we'll read from verse 20. And it says, In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. The day before, I think it was, Jesus had cursed this fig tree because it wasn't bearing any fruit. And uh, now they're walking past it, and uh, they're, they're, they're seeing that, you know, it's sort of like it's withered. And, and then Jesus goes on to say, have faith in God, Jesus answered. Although, if you want the literal Greek rendering there, and no Bibles do the literal Greek rendering, but the literal Greek rendering of that is, have the faith of God. Not have faith in God, but have the faith of God. That's what Jesus said. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. 
Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, with that last bit, we, we saw this last time, didn't we, in the Lord's Prayer, or the so-called Lord's Prayer, that obviously, forgiving other people is a basic, fundamental requirement for having your prayers answered. I.e., to put it another way, if you've got unforgiveness in your heart against other people, that, um, you know, sort of like, uh, cuts out your you know, prayer life, the effect of your prayers, well, your prayers won't have any effect if you've got, you know, sort of resentment against people. So, if you're not forgiving people, you can pray, but your prayer won't be effective, i.e., it won't work. It won't be the means of channeling God's power, because you're not meeting the basic requirements for channeling God's power, which is to have forgiven those who have sinned against you. So we see that one and we say, right, well, okay, I mean, that's important. If we're going to get our prayers answered, we've got to make sure we're not holding unforgiveness in our hearts. Fine. But the other thing we see here is that in order to get your prayers answered, you've got to believe that God's going to answer them. A basic requirement that Jesus speaks about here. Um, go over into Matthew's account of this. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And uh, just want verse 21 and 22. And this is the same little story. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So here we've got Jesus talking about praying. Elsewhere, he talks about if you're going to pray and if you're going to see your prayers become a channel for God's power to change things, then you've got to make sure you haven't got unforgiveness in your heart. And here he's saying you've also got to make sure you've got faith. That you actually believe that the fact that you're praying is going to be the means of God changing things, i.e., to put it another way, you need to believe, to have faith in the Lord, that that prayer that you're praying is going to be answered. Now, obviously, from verses like these, and, uh, you know, I mean, sort of, I mean, there's always loads of false teaching on the horizon, so immediately I've just got to spend a little bit of time countering the false teaching that comes from here, and it's, it's kind of like the faith teachers and, uh, you know, sort of like the name it and claim it brigade, or the blab it and grab it, as we call it here. Uh, the fundamental belief that if you decide anything that you want to happen, then because you've decided, if you believe and make, you know, if you keep believing, then God's got to do it, all right? So, and, 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 and that's a completely false teaching. It ends up with a picture of God almost like one of these cigarette machines that you find on stations. Do, do they still have them on stations? I don't know. But you kind of like, you put your money in, that's your faith. And then you pull the drawer out and there's the answer to your prayer, either the packet of fags or something. And it kind of, it, you know, it makes God some kind of machine who's bound to our faith. Now, of course, that is completely wrong. Any teaching that more or less says we decide what God's going to do, and because we pray and because we believe it, therefore God's got to back up our faith. I mean, that, that is ludicrous. That's, that's not what it means at all, as, as we're going to be seeing. This is all tied up with assuming that we're praying according to God's will, obviously. You know, so we need to dispense of any idea that faith makes God do things. I mean, we've already you know, sort of like seen, and we'll be back to this later, that, you know, Jesus said, have the faith of God. And it's not a question of what we decide we're going to believe for. I mean, you know, that's no, but we're going to see it's only faith that is actually a gift of the Holy Spirit himself, that faith that is actually given by God himself. But nevertheless, that faith does need to be there. So I think what we'll do is we'll go through uh, some of the verses that the name it and claim it, 
brigade quote all the time, but they're also the verses that we want to really ground ourselves in what you know the Bible says about this. So we'll just go through them, and uh, if, if, if you go to John's Gospel, it's going to be in John and then 1 John, by his letter, but John's Gospel, and uh, find chapter 14, you'll see from these verses why the name it, claim it, or the blab it and grab it, you know, is, uh, is, is, is wrong. But first of all, John 14, and uh, we'll read from verse 12. And uh, Jesus, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And the important thing about Jesus going to the Father, it's because he ascended and went to the Father that the Holy Spirit could be poured out. So, in a sense, the, the great change there that Jesus was talking about was that... that, that up to this point, Jesus was with the disciples, but he was outside of them. Do you see what I mean? He was external to them. Once he went to the Father, and once the Holy Spirit was poured out, he is then not only with us, he was with them, but now he's in us. He wasn't in them then. That's the great change that he's talking about. Now Jesus indwells the church. And the reason that we can expect as the church of Jesus Christ, to do even greater things than him, all right, is because in his flesh he was limited to one human body. Because now Jesus lives in millions of people and, and has done, you know, for 2,000 years, through all the millions of people that Jesus lives in, well, he's not as limited as he was then. Therefore, we can really genuinely expect in the church, corporately, to see you know, the things that Jesus did reenacted in this day and age. And, uh, and he says, he will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, obviously there, uh, you've got whatever we ask in his name. Now, that's an important little, you know, sort of, you know, thing to understand because the faith teaching almost uses, you know, sort of like the name of Jesus, like a spell. You know, it's a bit like magic. If you pray something, the fact that you put in the name of Jesus on the end and believe is going to make it happen. That's not what it means at all. That's occultism. That's shamanism. That's, that's not Christian faith. That's not a prayer life in the way the Bible talks about. The thing about asking something in his name is a question of understanding what that means in his name. And of course, you know, sort of like, you know, you get arrested in the name of the law. Now, so what that means is that there are certain conditions where a policeman, because he is authorised so to do by the powers that be, can come and arrest you. That's what in the name of the law means. It means using authority that you've been given by someone else. And so therefore, when Jesus is talking about asking anything in his name and he will do it, he's talking obviously about anything that we pray for that has been inspired by him himself, that is his will. We can be absolutely sure that that will be done. And look, that, that, um, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. So what Jesus is, is saying here, that we can expect to pray and see God move in ways that glorify him. You know, now I mean sort of like the thought of, you know, all Christians driving around in Mercedes, you know, name it, claim it. All right, I, I don't see how that particularly is going to bring any glory to the Father at all. And it's ridiculous that some Christians think it, it, it is. I mean, if it's God's will for you individually to drive a Mercedes, well, pray for one, and, and, and the Lord will be glorified as he provides it for you. But can you see there are these provisos here? But it's talking about the fact that if we pray according to his will, he'll do it, but it's with anyone who has faith. You see, there it is. That's what we need to underline here, all right? What we're looking for, yeah, obviously this refutes the old faith teaching that all you've got to do is believe and by definition it's going to happen. We're refuting that. But what we are looking for here is to see that 
prayer has got to be in faith. As surely as we've got to pray with, with a heart free of unforgiveness, we've got to pray with a heart full of faith. Uh, go to John 15, the next chapter. I see very much the same thing. Chapter 15, verse 7. Jesus says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And can you see, it's there again, the proviso for asking anything we will, and expecting God to do it, is that we remain in him, and his words remain in us. I.e. that that, that prayer is coming from the life of Jesus within us. And that, it's the, tied up with us bearing much fruit. And again, the idea of God just automatically answering every, every whim that we happen to pray. I mean, crikey, we, we wouldn't develop faith in our lives. We'd, you know, or, or fruit at all. We'd just turn into the equivalent of spoilt brats. But nevertheless, see in there that Jesus is talking about a prayer life whereby believers can expect to be seeing their prayers unmistakably answered. Uh, Go to chapter 16, verse 23. And he says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. So there you've got it, in my name, the same thing. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy will be complete. So we're seeing here very clearly, one, it doesn't mean that you just decide what you want God to do and he's bound to do it if only you have faith. We're seeing that it doesn't mean that at all. This is all on the proviso of it being the Lord's will. Okay, But what we are seeing in here is that Christians can expect to be seeing prayers answered in an unmistakable way. And and very often the reason we don't, I mean sometimes it's because we're not praying according to God's will, but often we can be praying according to God's will, but without faith. And if it's without faith, it's not going to happen, is it? Go to 1 John. As surely as if you were praying with resentment in your heart. It's not going to happen. Resentment equals unbelief. Can you see in this context, unbelief in the heart. Sort of like, you know, it uh, short circuits our prayer life. 1 John and uh, chapter 3. And uh, 5 verse 21. He says, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, i.e., your, you know, any sin you've been convicted of, you know, you've repented of, so you know you're clear before God through repentance. Um, We have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. So there's that confidence that we receive from God what we ask. And just go to chapter 5 and verse 14. And this is the one that really, this this sums up this verse quite clearly, um, everything that I'm wanting us to see at this point. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, bear in mind, the teaching of Jesus recorded about ask anything in my name, blah, 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 was recorded by John, the same bloke who's writing this. And just in case anyone might possibly have misunderstood his gospel in regards to this, here he makes it as clear as a bell. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. I mean, you know, it's like, uh, you know, say with your children. I mean, here it's saying that if we pray something that's according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he answers. Which means that if we pray something that isn't according to his will, he doesn't answer because he doesn't hear us. Now, what does that mean? 
Well, it means quite simply this. Those of you with children know that there are times when children say, Dad, Dad, yes, son, can I have? And then what he goes on to say he wants is so ridiculous and preposterous, you don't even bother logging it up. Dad, Dad, can I have that sweet shop? You know, can you see what I mean? Or, you know, it's, it's staffed, isn't it? And that's the point. You know, the Lord almost just turns a deaf ear you know, when we end up praying things that, that, that aren't his will, because, I mean, only he knows how daft it will be if he actually started, um, you know, sort of like answering prayers that are, are, are completely off the wall. But the main thing that, that we've got to see there is that it shot through, it's trying to get across to Christians that if we have faith, if we believe, okay, yeah, of course, there are subjective problems in regards to, in this particular thing, am I praying according to his will? Of course there are problems like that. But, I mean, the point is, put that aside completely, can you see that here the Bible is representing a prayer life that sees answers to prayer? That is something that we all ought to be seeing. And one of the conditions, and it's the one we're homing in on tonight, is that we believe is that we actually have faith, that we pray with expectancy. Our prayer must be believing prayer or it's a waste of time. And, and don't, in hearing me saying that, or it's a waste of time, let's not then say, oh, well, might as well just give up prayer then. Ugh. All right? That's ridiculous. Let's just repent of our unbelief. Isn't that easy? Isn't that easy? I mean, if you resent someone, and you're, you're, you're praying away, all right, trying to build a prayer life, and then someone comes along and, and they find out that you've got unforgiveness in your heart against somebody. And they say, oh, goodness, no, your prayers aren't going to be answered. No wonder they're not being answered. And so why is that? And they say, well, you've got unforgiveness in your heart against so-and-so, haven't you? And you say, oh, well, I might just as well give up praying then. Ugh. No, you wouldn't. You'd repent of that. You know, you, you'd forgive that person. And in exactly the same way, where we find unbelief to be a problem, what do we do? We repent of that unbelief. Go to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Voice 6. Look at this. Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Absolutely impossible, right? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, well obviously, you're not going to be praying if you don't believe God's there, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So for a prayer life, we one got to believe God is there, obviously, but that's not enough. We say, oh yes, well, we all believe God is there, don't we? Oh good, well so does the devil. That doesn't of itself get you anywhere. You've then got to believe that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So whatever you're seeking him about, whatever prayers you're praying, assuming they're earnest and not silly, i.e. that your prayer life isn't just all the time, oh Lord and I want this and oh Lord I want that. Well I mean that's not earnest prayer. All right? That's just selfishness. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. Of course we should. But can you see that's silly? But assuming our seeking him is earnest, then he's going to reward us. And it's saying, so believe it. Believe that he's going to reward us, that he's going to respond to our prayer lives. Have faith. That's what this is saying. Without it, your prayer life isn't going to go very far. Now we've got to ask why. Why faith? I mean, if we say, well, why is it that you have to be right with other people in order for God to have your prayers answered? Well, okay, we answer that by saying, well, I mean, you know, because then you're out of fellowship with God, and he's, you know, he's not going to answer your prayers if you're out of fellowship because he wants you to repent, blah, blah, blah. And we, we can answer that question. But now we've got to say, well, okay, but, but why faith? Why is it that we've got to be believing in order to see our prayers answered? And, uh, and the answer to that is, is, is because faith, or believing, or trust. I mean, the actual Greek word, you know, pistis, pistuo, all these different variations on it, to believe, to trust, to have faith in, all right? They're all the meanings of it. 
to trust, to believe, to have faith in. To trust in God, to believe in God, to have faith is the very basis of our relationship with the Lord anyway. Faith. We are saved by faith. We are saved by trust. By trusting God. What does it boil down to if you trust someone? If you trust someone, well obviously you expect that person to carry out his word. Alright? So, uh, we heard at some point in our past, the Gospel, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. We received that word, we believed that word, we trusted in him and therefore we're saved. Because we believed, because we trusted him to fulfill his word, we received the benefits of that word. Alright? It's the very basis of salvation. Believing that what you've asked for, you're going to get. And when you say, Jesus, save me, you're believing that he's going to save you. You're saying, Lord, I can't do it. I'm trusting you to do it. That is the essence of our relationship with him. It's simply taking the Lord at his word. And because we take the Lord at his word, we receive the benefits of what he promises to us. Now that is why prayer has to be believing prayer. Because ultimately it's all about receiving free gifts. And if you see what I mean, if there's a free gift on offer, believing prayer would be the equivalent of actually putting your hand out and saying, all right, okay, I'll have some of that, please. Now that's, that's what a prayer life is, isn't it? It's saying, all right, Lord, I'll have some of that, please. Whether it's blessings for you or whether it's blessings for other people. You know, the Lord says, pray for all men. Pray for your leaders that we may dwell in peace. You say, right, Lord, I'll have some of that then. I pray for all men. I pray for our leaders. Can you see? That's what it's about. Healing. Right, Lord, I'll have some of that, please. That is what praying in faith is all about. And, um, you know, it's receiving the free gifts of God, whatever it is. I mean, let's, let's see it in, in, in sort of like, you know, various areas, all right? Because it's easier in some than others. It's easier to believe that your prayer is being answered in some instances than it is in others. Let's think about it. Let's say forgiveness. Now, this is reasonably easy. I mean, okay, yeah, it's, it's possible to have difficulties. But the point is this. Let's say you have sinned, all right? So then, what do you do? You pray for forgiveness. You say, Lord, forgive me for that sin. Now, what's your next step? Your next step is this, believe it. Believe that your prayer is going to be answered. It's according to his will. What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, you've sinned, you're out of fellowship. You come to the Lord, you say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. That is what you're saying. You're saying, in effect, Lord, will you please forgive me? Now then, what happens next? Immediately, he forgives you. You pray it, believe it. And if you believe it, you receive it. it it's there. Do you see what I mean? That prayer is answered in exactly the same way. Uh, now, as I say, most Christians don't have too much problem with that. We, we get hung up on particular things at times. But can you see there that connection? You pray, Lord forgive me, and you quite naturally believe that even as you're praying, he's doing it. But uh, let, let's uh, say in regards to our sanctification in general, not forgiveness of past sins, but the whole thing about Lord clean me up, you know, the cleanse me from all unrighteousness bits. And uh, we saw this in James. Just go to James chapter 1. And uh, when we did the James study, we, we noted this. James chapter 1. And um, so in, in verse 5, in, in, in the context of um, wisdom, and we were seeing when we did James that, you know, wisdom here is about the application of knowledge. Wisdom is the practical day-to-day -day how you live the Christian life. And so James writes and he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, 
he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. So in effect, this is dealing not just with the aspect of, oh Lord, I need wisdom in that situation. I mean, it does apply to that. But it's talking about, you know, oh, oh Lord, you know, show me how to live the Christian life. In effect, it's talking about sanctification, being set free from the power of sin in our lives. That is what the letter of James is all about. And so in that context, he goes on to say, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Now here is the word of God saying, look, so in regards to being set free from the power of sin, pray that you'll be set free from the power of sin and believe it. Believe that that is what God wants to do and believe that that, is, that that is a prayer that God is going to answer. I mean, in prayer for forgiveness that we just saw last week, the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. And here, talking about prayer for sanctification, deliver me from the power of sin, well, you know, that's kind of Lord lead us not into temptation. Two of the components in the so-called Lord's Prayer. And so, the point is, that say, that means sin in general, our general prayer, Lord, deal with my sin. Okay, Dave was praying tonight that the Lord would mature us all. In effect, it's the same thing. Or maybe at the moment there's a, a, a particular sin in your life, the Lord's highlighted it, you're repenting of it, but, but you're still stuck. You know, I, it's there, you're not free from it, okay? Well, keep praying for that freedom and be encouraged. Be encouraged, believe that God is going to set you free from that sin. Don't get all depressed about it, don't get all condemned. Believe that the Lord's going to set you free. It's as simple as that. In his time and in his way, he will do exactly that, okay? And, uh, and then also, in a kind of like the so-called Lord's Prayer last week, we saw, give us this day our daily bread. Praying that God will provide daily all our needs. Go, go to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, different Christians have different levels of difficulty with, with these kind of things, but, um, but it's all a question of seeing that with, with these things that we're praying for, there must be faith. We must quite simply believe in the Lord to answer these prayers. Matthew chapter 6 Start from verse 25, very well-known passage this. It's Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendour, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith. So don't worry saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now then, there's Jesus saying, he's going to provide for us. And then, a bit later on, a little bit earlier on, he said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. We have the assurance of his word that he wants to do it, and where to pray for it, with that assurance that he wants to do it. And I mean, the test, whether or not we've got faith, in Jesus answering this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, is simply this. Are you worrying? 
Are you worrying about the future? If you're worrying about the future, then you're not into believing prayer. You might be praying about the future, but if you're still worrying about what you're praying about, you're not yet believing. Now, you keep praying and keep worrying, because as you keep praying and keep worrying, God will deal with the worry. But at the end of the day, you've got to see the worry for what it is, unbelief. As definitely and purely a sin as if you were harboring unforgiveness in your heart against somebody. And a sure way to short-circuit the effect of that prayer. So, therefore, in regards to things like that, it's believing prayer or worry. It's one or the other. Or as I often say, why pray when you can worry? That is how we know whether we're into believing prayer in regards to the Lord looking after our lives, be it what we're going to eat or drink tomorrow, or where we're going to be in 10 years' time or whatever, the whole caboodle. God will provide for all our needs. Now then, with those things, one could say, well, yeah, okay, I can see that. I mean, praying for forgiveness, I haven't got too much of a problem with that. You know, that's, that's no problem. And, uh, you know, praying and believing God's going to set me free from the power of sin, yeah, I suppose so. And yet someone else might have a real job with this daily provision thing. Oh, I'm always worrying about, am I going to be able to pay the bills or whatever. Someone else might have no problem with that at all, but they might be worrying about their sin and, oh, am I ever going to get free of this, that or the other, okay? Different things in regards to different people. But the answer to all of them is to start believing. It's obvious what God wants from his word. And if you're praying according to his will, and his will is pretty clear in regards to these things, well, if you're praying in accordance with his will, he'll do it. So if you start believing that, trusting him, God's not a liar. He hasn't told us things just for the fun of it, so that when we ask, he decides, oh, I'm not going to do it. That'll keep them on their toes. <laughs> you know, I mean, no. It's having that absolute trust in God's word. That is what prayer is, trusting the person to keep their word. So then, can you see, with those things, that if we're not meeting the condition of, of, of believing, then our prayer life is going to be short-circuited. Now, at that point, we've got to come on a whole, you know, a, 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 a different area, all right, that's, that's, that's maybe more blatant than the ones that we've covered. And it's the, the, the area of the miraculous. And, and I'm talking here about what Robert would have called stone-bonker miracles, all right? That's the area that I'm moving on to now. And this is the area that we have problems with, isn't it? And, and, and how do I know that? Well, I know that because we hardly ever see these kind of stone-bonker miracles. Of course we've got a problem with it. Okay. And, but nevertheless, we have got to make sure that we are praying for the blatantly miraculous as well. Even if we feel at the moment it's just beyond us. Nevertheless, we've got to be praying for it. Um, Go to Matthew chapter 14 now. And I just want to just show you something very quickly in regards to Peter walking on the water. And uh, you know the story that the Jesus has sent the disciples out on the boat and he's gone somewhere else praying. And a big storm comes up and the disciples are in fear of their lives. And Jesus kind of walks, walks across the lake. You know, and he's walking past the boat and he's... Hello lads, right, it's me, you know, and, and, and the disciples are absolutely freaking out. And, uh, you know, but Jesus kind of manages to convince them it is him. And Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you. So it was a great, great act of genuine faith here, stepping out of the boat. And it wasn't that Peter decided, he didn't say, right, Lord, I'm coming. He said, Lord, do you want me to come? All right, he checked first. So this wasn't Peter deciding that a miracle was going to happen. This was Peter moving in response to how the Lord was leading him. Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter gets out of the boat, and a miracle. He's walking on the water with Jesus. All right. Remember, as long as he looks to Jesus, he's on top of the waves. But the moment he looks away, he gets distracted by the wind and the waves, and, and he fears, and then he starts to sink. And so he sinks and he cries out, Lord, save me. All right. Now let's just read um, uh, verse 31. Immediately 
Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, we would probably, from our perspective, say, well, I, I think Peter did pretty well there. He certainly had the legs on me. All right. I'd, I'd have been well and truly in the boat. And it's like, from our perspective, we'd, as it were, want to say, oh, what wonderful faith in Peter. Isn't that fantastic that he walked a few steps before he sank? Fantastic. Jesus, pulling him back up out of the sea, says, Peter, why did you sink? Why did you doubt? What's the problem? Now, can you see from God's point of view, he honestly expects us to have far more faith than, than maybe at the moment we can even imagine. But remember, if he wants us to have something, the onus is on him to give it. But again, we've got to believe that he does indeed want to actually give it to us. So the point is, the Lord is pretty disappointed with our faith. I mean, he's not condemning about it. All he wants to do is to kind of work in us to deliver us from all the unbelief in our hearts. But can you see, from this perspective, what Jesus said to Peter here, the Lord expects a far greater level of faith for the stone bonker miraculous, as I'm calling it, than we've got in our hearts. So this is really something, you know, that we've got to say, well, okay, I might not at the moment be able to start praying, believing for miracles at this moment, but I'll tell you what we can do. And I refer you to the Bible study we did on hope in the spiritual gift series. And it's simply to start praying, well, okay, I can't see myself working miracles at the moment, Lord, but I pray that you'll bring me into that faith. Can you see? And it's the difference between faith and hope that we can at least start praying in absolute confidence that whereas we don't have that faith now, we can start praying that the Lord can give it to us, that he can work and in his time and his way, he can actually give it to us. So, I mean, I'm not saying that, right, okay, tonight we're going to start, we're going to go out on the streets and start praying for the sick. I'm not saying that at all. That would be daft. That would be trying to run before we can walk. But my goodness, we can see that this faith for the miraculous is what God considers normal for the Christian. And we've got to start praying, well, Lord, make me normal. I don't see how on earth I'm, I, you know, I can be start being normal tomorrow or anything like that. But Lord, I believe you can start working in me from tomorrow or even from tonight to bring me to the point where I do have that faith. So my goodness, that was, that was what Jesus was expecting of Peter. Jesus didn't actually expect Peter to sink. Wow, that's the that's sort of faith God wants of us. Go back to Hebrews 11. We read verse 6, I think it was earlier, now we're going to read verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. And the writer says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. And basically what it's saying there is that the, 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 the whole point about faith is if our faith is in God, then we don't, do not need to see anything beyond simply Him. I mean, the point was, God created everything out of nothing. So God has the power to take things that aren't and to make them into things that are. And faith sees things that aren't as if they are. Faith looks, not, looks at the nothing and sees what God is going to bring out of that nothing. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, in, 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 in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, Paul says, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by faith and not by sight. Now then, in the world, all right, the, you know, the phrase is seeing is believing. Oh, well, if I see it, I'll believe it, all right? Now, in the kingdom of God, it's exactly the opposite way round. It's not sight, it's faith. It's not a question of, well, I mean, I'll have faith in it when I can see it. No, it's saying, if I have faith, then I will see it. 
So it's not seeing is believing. In the kingdom, it's believing is seeing. Do you see the difference? It's not saying I'll believe it when I see it. It's saying if I believe it, then I will see it. The believing comes first. And it's like we saw last time, didn't we, in that prayer that Jesus taught them to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer is bringing what is true of in heaven and making it true on earth. And that is what faith does in prayer. Faith sees a situation as it is on the earth, not as God wants it. And so in prayer, believing prayer, what we're doing is we're kind of rearranging that position, that situation, from a heavenly vantage point. And we're bringing God's power into it so that it becomes on earth as it would be if it was in heaven. That is what prayer is. It's, change, it's the, the channel through which God changes situations on earth. But it's always faith that comes first. You look into the nothing of a situation that you're praying for, situation, and you see nothing of the Lord in there. See nothing but an absolute disaster. And yet, on the other hand, you know how God wants that situation to be. And because you know how he wants it to be, rather than how it is, what it would be if it was in heaven, then you start praying. And through faith, the situation will be rearranged into how God wants it. Let's, uh, if you go to 1 Kings 18, we've mentioned in these talks Elijah here and there, haven't we? Let's actually um, have a closer look. And if you find 1 Kings 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, you remember that Elijah, through his prayers, there's, there's a drought. And uh, he's in process of setting up the contest on Mount Carmel between him and the prophets of Baal. And in 1 Kings 18 verse 2, it's been three and a half years of, 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 of drought. And in, uh, well, we'll read verse 18 and verse 1 and, 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 and 2. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. So, what he's got here from the Lord is the Lord has said, Right, now it's time to go to Ahab, set the Mount Carmel thing up, and I'm going to send the rain. All right? So he's got God's word. The rain is going to come. All right? Now go over to verse 41. Same chapter, verse 41. In the meantime, we've had the contest on Mount Carmel. God has sent the fire. Elijah has killed all the prophets of Baal. Baal, you'll remember, didn't answer, because Baal doesn't exist. All right? And in verse 41, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go... Eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. So Elijah's praying again. But look what he says to Ahab. He says, Ahab, you better get home now, or the rain's going to stop you. Right? So he's saying, you know, virtually, look, it's, it, you know, it's raining. He's raining. There is the sound of heavy rain. Now then, uh, go over to um, verse 43. So Elijah's gone up to the top of Carmel, and he says to his servant, go up and look towards the sea. And he went and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now, can you see what Elijah is doing here is that after the contest on Mount Carmel, he says to, Eli he says to Ahab, look, get home or the rain's going to stop you. There's the sound of rain. What rain? Then Elijah goes up to start praying. There's not a cloud in the sky. And he keeps praying, but he's told Ahab, get home because there's a sound of rain. There's not a cloud in the sky. And then eventually, after seven times, there's the cloud the size of a man's hand. And then in verse um, you know, 44, again, Elijah sends to Ahab, look, tell him to get home or he's going to get stuck in the rain. 
Now, the point is, here is Elijah acting as if it's raining, but the rain didn't come till verse 45. Now, can you see, that was faith. That was faith in God's word. He knew it was God's will for the rain to come. So he's praying that it's going to rain. He's praying God's will so he knows that the prayer is going to answer. So as far as he's concerned, it's raining. Now, we're not here talking about that he's going around saying it is literally raining and I'm believing this by faith, even though the sun is shining. But what it's saying is that because Elijah knew that the rain was going to come, for him it was as good as already raining. It wasn't Elijah pretending it was raining when it wasn't, but the point was he could feel the rain on his head. That certain was he that his prayer was going to be answered. Now that is what faith is. It's seeing because you believe. That rain was real to Elijah already, even though it wasn't raining. But it was because of the faith that the Lord had given him. He was, to use a bit of a jargon phrase that I don't like, but he was moving in faith. I don't know how else to express it. So the faith comes first. We walk by faith and not sight. Faith comes first, then the sight comes. Sit Believing comes first, then the seeing. Um, go over to 2 Kings and find chapter 6. Um, Elijah was, as you remember, replaced by um, Elisha. And if you just find uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, and uh, just see um, an incident from Elisha's life. We'll, we'll start reading uh, from verse 8. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his men, he said, I'll set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, I, Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so he was on his guard at such places. So what you've got, the king of Aram keeps attacking Israel. And he's attacking from all different directions. But every time he attacks, whatever direction he comes from, there's the Israeli army waiting for him. This enraged the king of Aram. Well, it would, wouldn't it? He summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He thinks there's a spy. And that every time he plans an attack, one of his generals or something is a spy, and he's going to inform Israel. None of us, my lord the king, said one of his men, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. So they've sussed, and he says, no, it's not that there's a spy, there's a prophet called Elisha, and every time you plan an attack, the Lord tells Elisha, and he tells the king of Israel, so the king of Israel is waiting for you when you arrive. And then basically what happens, the king of Aram says, we'll find out where this Elisha is, I want him here, I want him brought here, you know, go and capture him. And then, you know, the king thought, my problems would be over. Okay, so let's, let's start reading now from verse 15. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots has surrounded the city. So the Aramean army has come where Elisha is staying, and, and, and his servant has got up in the morning, he's gone out for a walk, and this city is surrounded by the Aramean army, and, and he knows that they've come for him, you know, for, for them. And, um, uh, oh my Lord, what shall we do, the servant asks. So he runs back to Elisha, like, panic, 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 you know, he's hit the panic button. What are we going to do? And Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots, of fire all around Elisha. Now, sorry, look at verse 16. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, he looked, and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. So the servant sees the Aramean army surrounding them. But then Elisha, who says, no, those with us are more than those with them, and he prays that the Lord will open this young man's eyes. And he looks again and he sees the angelic army surrounding the Aramean army. You see? Now the point was, Elisha couldn't visually see the angelic army. He didn't need to. He knew they were there. But he simply prayed that the servant would see them so that he'd realise how unbelieving he was being. 
But can you see the difference between Elisha and the young servant? Elisha was living by faith. The young servant was living by sight. And yet Elisha saw far more than the young servant did. He saw the reality of it. And the point is that when we're having faith in the Lord and his word, when we pray, now, we're not going to be able to visually see exactly what we're up to, what they're up to, but when we pray, the angelic armies are being harnessed and they're beavering away in the background, working on our prayer being answered. We saw that from Daniel, didn't we? Now, we don't need to see that because the Bible simply tells us it's true. So, therefore, regardless of what our situation looks like, what you can't see is that the Lord is in there and that the angels are in there and that God's supernatural power is in there. And it is by you believing that and having faith that that angelic army, if you like, is mobilised and God's power is released. So can you see, we've got to start, you know, less of by sight and a bit more of by faith. You know, a bit less of being daunted, oh well it's impossible, isn't it? To realising that with God nothing is impossible. And that includes all the miracles that we're praying for. We, you know, we're, we're praying that we'll see people healed. We're praying that we'll see the gift of miracles amongst us. Well let's pray on. Because God's going to do it. Let's not be satisfied. Let's not, oh, well, it's impossible. It is impossible, but that is God's speciality. Do you remember when the children of Israel were going in uh, through the wilderness and as they were approaching the promised land, they sent spies in. And the spies came back. There were 12 of them. And the spies came back and, you know, sort of like they brought some grapes back and it took two of them to carry the grapes. I mean, you know, the land was that rich. And they were saying, the land is fantastic, and there's this and there's that, and it's, oh, it's absolutely marvellous. But, and then ten of them went on to say, there are, there are the, uh, you know, the sort of like the giants and the fortified cities. We're as grasshoppers. We can't do it. And there was only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who said, hang on, wait a minute. God's bigger than the giants. He's bigger than the fortified cities. But all the people said, oh, no, it's impossible. And so they didn't go in. And that whole generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Now, we've got a choice. We can be like the ten, or we can be like Joshua and Caleb. And we can say, these, the impossibilities that we face, God is going to overcome them, because nothing is impossible to him. And we can go in and take the land, knowing that no matter how big and daunting the giants look, Goliath, whatever the Goliath is that's standing in your way, no matter how big it looks, it is nothing compared to God. You might be a grasshopper compared to that problem, alright? But the truth of the matter is that problem is an ant compared to the bigness of God. And that's what we need. We need to start really believing and trusting the Lord for miracles to happen, to really start believing and expecting that prayer is going to be answered. Just, just go to Matthew. Matthew and verse 17, sorry, chapter 17, chapter 17 and verse 20. And this is when the disciples were having a job casting a particular demon out. And, uh, you know, they, they said to Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And verse 20, he replied, because you have so little faith. And he said, because you didn't believe that demon was going to leave. You, you, you didn't trust me enough. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, there's a great tendency to say with the disciples, Lord, increase our faith. My faith needs to be bigger. But what Jesus is saying here, look, it's got nothing to do with size. He says, faith the size of a grain of mustard seed will do. 
And what Jesus is saying here, that with faith, it's not quantity that counts. It's quality. It's quality. And you remember we saw earlier that Jesus said, have the faith of God. That's what we need. The actual faith of God himself, inspired in our hearts by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, tie up what Jesus says here about the size of a grain of mustard seed with his teaching about the corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying. And, and there's a sense, if we think, oh Lord, increase my faith, increase our faith, think of it that the Lord says, oh no, 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 your faith is half the problem here. You're trying to believe is half the problem here. No, that faith needs to die and then to be replaced with the faith of Jesus himself. So the point is, we've got to start seeing that it's not just a question of saying, well, I've got to start believing, I've got to start believing. Because then you start falling into the danger of the faith teachers, as if faith is a thing that you can work up in yourself. You know, kind of psych yourself up and, and therefore miracles are going to happen. That's an error. What we've got to do is to realise that, that, that so often even our faith is, 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 is completely of the flesh and it's simply our unbelief trying hard. What we need to do is to die to that, to be delivered from that so that we can receive faith as a gift from God himself. And that is the faith that doesn't have any doubts. Not some cocksure, fleshy, oh well I know. But it's a very deep thing, because it comes, it's just born in you, it's of God himself. Something you know that you know that you know that you know. And at the end of the day it's the witness of the Holy Spirit, and you can't explain it to anyone else. But it doesn't matter that you can't. You know it, and you're going to keep praying it until it happens, and you can smell it. You can smell it. Even though it hasn't happened yet, you can smell it, you can touch it, you can taste it. It's that real. And that is the faith that is actually moving mountains in the heavenlies, as it were, and is going to bring that thing into being. Do you remember when eventually Israel got into the Promised Land? We saw a couple of talks ago, didn't we? We mentioned about when they were going round Jericho, and uh, they had to just march round the walls, you know, for seven days, and they weren't, weren't allowed to talk or anything. And, uh, you know, one of the things that had been going through their mind was the total impossibility of it. The total impossibility, all they had to walk silently around the walls for seven days, weren't even allowed to talk. And those walls got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and they got more and more unbelieving, more and more seeing the impossibility of it, until eventually they were kind of, it all came out of them. They, they saw their, their, their unbelief in all its nakedness. It was so blatant. And they were dying to any faith they had in those walls falling down. But as they repented of the unbelief, as they died to any faith they had, then they came into that faith which was a gift from the Holy Spirit. And then Joshua had the trumpets blown and then they all shouted and the walls fell down. Now why did they shout? They shouted because the Holy Spirit had instilled in them the faith to shout in such a way that they knew that when they did the walls would fall down. You see, that is the faith born of the Holy Spirit and that is what we've got to pray towards. Not start, you know, we mustn't go away from here and, and start trying to psych ourselves up. Right, well, you know, I mean, the next time someone's ill, I'm really going to believe that they're going to be healed when I pray for them. That's not what I'm saying in regards to the miraculous we've got to do. Where we've got to start is this. We've got to realise that our unbelief is short-circuiting what God can do amongst us. Right? And then we're not going to panic, we're not going to get depressed. In repenting of that unbelief, we're going to be praying, so Lord, bring us into the faith Whatever. I mean, maybe you don't understand this. Maybe you're confused by what I'm saying. Well, that doesn't matter. Pray, Lord, I don't understand it. But nevertheless, whatever Beresford was going on about, it seems to be biblical. Lord, bring me into it. Don't worry if you don't understand it. Lord, bring us into it. That we can do. I personally can't start saying, well, Lord, that's from tomorrow. I'm going to believe for miracles. I can't do that. But what I do do at the moment 
every day is say, Lord, bring us into the miraculous. I believe you can. And if we keep doing that, believing, then we're going to find the faith of Jesus himself developing in us. We're actually going to be, you know, kind of, wow, expectant, looking out for the miracles to happen in every area of life. So, ending here with prayer, all right, the talks, take this away, believing, praying with faith, and asking the Lord to deliver us from all the unbelief in our hearts. That's the next connection we've got to make. If there's unforgiveness, deal with it, all right? It will short-circuit your prayer life. If there's unbelief, deal with it. It will short-circuit your prayer life. So, we're declaring war on unbelief. Right, I'll end it now.